welcome to the formal review. Today we'll be talking about the 2022 film Jackass Forever. Now sit back, relax, grab your drinks, and let's talk about this movie. What's up y'all and welcome back to the formal review. This is season 5 episode 2 and I thank you all for tuning in once again. Now in this episode I will be going into analysis of the 2022 film Jackass Forever, but also I'm going to be giving a reaction to the Oscars as that was this past weekend. So if you want to hear my thoughts on everything, stay tuned. Before I go into really anything more, I'm not going to really comment on the thought on the slap that was heard around the world because it's a lot and one thing I will say is that it's a wild situation. Outside of that, there were some really annoying things that happened. The first thing was that even with the removal of the other categories for a pre-recorded sentiment, the show was still three hours long. Why? No real idea. All of these pre-recorded inserts were fairly impersonal, heavily edited, and then honestly ridiculously stupid when the removal didn't eliminate that lengthy time. The show even recorded a performance of a song that was not even nominated for some reason, even though I did enjoy it. I honestly love the new Megan Thee Stallion verse on Encanto's We Don't Talk About Bruno. Having said that, the performance wasn't needed when other awards should have been shown instead. Now, had it been nominated like it should have, then yeah, I welcome it. But why was it in the show? It really makes no sense whatsoever. Then additionally, when talking about the fan and favorite films. Now, I didn't disagree with one of them, with Flash entering the Speed Force and Zack Snyder's Justice League, a more cheer-worthy moment than when the Avengers assemble to fight Thanos in Avengers Endgame, and also the three Spider-Man moment in Spider-Man No Way Home. This, now, I would say out of those three, the Spider-Man one is pretty much the bottom one of those for me, and both the Avengers and the Spider-Man scenes are sequences that really are predictable by the story. I I would say more so in the Spider-Man one than in Avengers Endgame. Having said that, I did cheer more when the Avengers assembled to fight Thanos in Endgame. Having said that, the Flash entering the Speed Force, I think, is a much better scene because this is a scene that wasn't really predicted from the story whatsoever. And just what that scene represents, that scene is much more powerful than any of the other ones. Yeah, some argument could be made that it wasn't a cheer-worthy moment because it wasn't released in theaters, but is that the film's fault? Not really. No matter what you feel about the movie, this scene in the film really does emulate, honestly, the Flash's character and a lot of the internal dialogue that is said really does speak to him and it's a really great moment. Now, I'm going to be honest also when it comes to the other award that Zack Snyder won with the fan favorite with Army of the Dead. Now, this being the most popular film, I'm not going to agree there that it was really that good of a film. Having said that, this is a vote-in process, so I'm not against it winning just because my vote for a fan favorite doesn't win doesn't mean that that film shouldn't have won. When it comes to popular vote, that's what matters, is that it's a vote. That's democracy right there. Yeah, sometimes it is a popularity contest, but and more people that vote in a specific way than in another. But again, that is the nature of a vote. Frankly, I can't be too upset about that, even if I disagree with it. Now, with the Oscars, I was 6 out of 11. I was correct on the original screenplay with Belfast, the score being Hans Zimmer on Dune, the female supporting 
actor for Ariana DeBose in West Side Story, the male supporting actor in Troy Coster for Coda, the award for direction for Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, and then Best Picture for Coda. Now, the ones that I were wrong on were pretty much situations where my number two was the winner of the category. Now, this went into the adapted screenplay for Coda. I actually predicted Power of the Dog. Production design went to Dune. I thought it would be better if it went to Tragedy and Macbeth. Cinematography went to Greg Frazier for Dune. I actually thought it was going to go to Dane Lawson for Nightmare Alley, mainly because it's just a little bit more cinematic. But I understand Greg Frazier winning and then Jessica Chastain winning for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, whereas I would have thought Kristen Stewart for Spencer would have been a little bit better. And then same thing with male leading actor and Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom. I personally thought that he was a little bit better than Will Smith in King of Richard, though I am not disappointed with Will Smith winning this award. Now, I will say at the end of the day, my two favorite moments of the Oscar ceremony, honestly, was DeBose winning female supporting actor. She is utterly fantastic, and arguably out of all of the performances that were up for anything, she was the best one. I would say that she was better than really everybody else, male or female. It doesn't matter. She was the best, and with her winning, it's utterly fantastic. But anyway, and then the next best thing was with Coda winning Best Picture. Now, I really love that film. You can go check out my analysis on it and why it's such a powerful film. I will say it wasn't the most theatrical of films in 2021, but it was still perfect in some ways. And I think that's why it really does stand up. It's not trying to only be a statement. It's not a safe win when it comes to awards. It's not a controversial win in the sense of Green Book was for a few years ago. This film was loved by a lot of people. And even if you don't think it is the most theatrical of films, that doesn't mean it's a bad film at all. It is a very, very well done film. It may be relatively simple, but at the end of the day, sometimes simple can win out. And that's honestly why this winning isn't a big deal. Honestly, yeah, arguably, again, like I said in that analysis, is that Coda isn't a film that you can say, this is cinema. But that's not a bad thing because cinema can be just the story and the characters. It doesn't have to have huge moments in the film that are powerful because of the score or the vastness of space or something of that nature. This film is simple, but it is a well done film. And at the end of the day, that's what's mattered. But anyway, now before I go into anything else, I do want to preface this analysis of this film with a slight spoiler warning. Having said that though, if you seen any of the other films in this series or the TV show or anything connected to this, you know what this movie is going to be about. So if you really have a problem with spoilers, I suggest you go watch the film and then come back and listen. Though, again, it's not really spoilers too much. I will not analyze every single prank that they go over in this film, but again, at the end of the day, it's a film that doesn't really have much of a story because that's not what it's meant to do. But if you don't care about that or if you don't care about spoilers or if you completely understand that this series isn't meant to be spoiled in any way because it's not based
based on any story or anything like that. Just keep listening. Also, I know I talk about this at the end, but the data shows that most people don't listen to that part. So I want to talk about it here and reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite subscription services. I do read those because I do want to grow because these episodes are really for all you listeners out there. And I want to keep this entertaining. So what do you want to hear? Do you want to hear games? Do you want to hear more of the 4K stuff? Do you want to hear me talk about a certain movie? If you want to come on and talk to me about something for you want to debate, I'm always open to do stuff like that. So you can always reach out to me on social media. I always want to grow and improve. And just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. So if there's something that you want me to improve on, let me know and I will grow as such. Anyway, so let's get back to the movie at hand. So let's sit back, relax, grab your drinks, and let's talk about this movie. Jackass Forever is a stunt comedy film directed by Jeff Tremaine, and it is the fourth main installment in the Jackass film series. It stars original cast members Johnny Knoxville, Danger Aaron, Steve-O, Dave England, Chris Pontius, Wee Man, Preston Lacey, and a few newcomers to the crew, and also a few celebrity guests. Now let's venture back 22 years to the year 2000. The world has now survived Y2K, the Rams from St. Louis, not LA, defeated the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl. The first Subway series since 1956 had the Yankee series defeating the New York Mets in five games. The top five songs on Billboard's charts were Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon, Joe's I Wanna Know, Santana's Maria Maria, and Smooth, and then Fates Hill Breathe. The top grossing film worldwide was Mission Impossible 2. The year 2000 saw the releases of the first installment of the popular film series X-Men, Final Destination, Scary Movie, and Meet the Parents. The most acclaimed films of that year were Gladiator, Traffic, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, American Psycho, Almost Famous, Requiem for a Dream, and Aaron Brockovich. In October of 2000, Jackass the TV show made its premiere on MTV. If you don't know what it is, it was a reality comedy television series created by Jeff Tremaine, Spike Jonze, and Johnny Knoxville. It featured a cast of nine doing these stunts and pranks on each other or the public. It ended up airing for three seasons on MTV between October of 2000 and February of 2002. Now the show was obviously controversial or for its fairly indecent nature and encouragement of fairly dangerous behavior. After the show ended in 2002, there were the spin-offs, Wild Boys, Viva La Bam, Homewrecker, Blastoid, Bam's Unholy Union, Dr. Stevo, Bam's World Domination, and Bam's Badass Game Show. They then released these five feature films, including this one, a video game and a mobile game. Now the first film was made because the cast thought it was going to be the conclusion of the TV series. It was shot on a budget of just $5 million and went on to gross over $60 million in the United States alone and then finished in the number one spot at the box office during its debut weekend. Due to the film's success and the cast availability, number two was released in 2006 and topped the box office in its debut weekend earning about $29 million on an $11.5 million budget. The third film, Jackass 3D, because that's what people wanted back then was a lot of 3D and of course with this film you wanted a bunch of things thrown at you while you're watching it. 
it was released on the 10th anniversary of the series. It ended up grossing almost $172 million worldwide against a production budget of $20 million. Now, the fourth film in the franchise was actually a spin-off called Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, which was released in 2013. This film was based on one of Knoxville's continual pranks revolving around a fairly nasty old man. The film had somewhat of a narrative connecting the stunts and pranks similar to the other film, Borat. It was also, interestingly enough, the first Jackass film to be nominated for an Oscar, with head makeup artist Stephen Prouty being nominated for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. It then went on to gross $152 million on a budget of only $15 million. Now fast forward to 2018 when Knoxville announced that a new film with new cast members was going to be released. Eventually it was scheduled for release on March 5th, 2021, but then was rescheduled to July 2021 and then due to the COVID-19 pandemic it was moved to September 2021 and it was eventually moved to February 4th, 2022 due to a few other delays in addition to the pandemic still going on. Now this film marks the continued tradition of an hour and a half or so of bodily fluids and kicks between the cast members legs but in this situation most of them are in their 50s. There's a human ramp gag and then a sequence involving a pitch dark room and a snake in a bucket that are particularly funny. There are also fairly painful sequences such as one involving MMA heavyweight Francis Ngannou and another involving bees. This film has really low stakes outside of the lives of the cast members. If you don't know what you're getting into with this film and frankly what is really risking out there, this film is pretty much what they're just gonna make it, put it out there and see if people will pay money to go see it. And as the other films have shown, people will. And this film still honestly feels the same as any other prank show running for the same time either by YouTube or TikTok. However, in this film there's still this friendship between a lot of the cast that is oddly heartwarming at times as it looks back at the past 20 years. Do you have to go back and rewatch all of those films or TV show? No. Well, unless you really want to. The film hopes that its audience can gain what those prior films and series were about via the obvious actions in this one. Now the most of the original cast return older but definitely not any wiser. Now there's new members that include Jasper Dolphin, Zach Holmes, Eric Manaka, Rachel Wolfson. Interesting enough, she is Jackass's first female member since Stephanie Hodges on the television show. But the best newcomer is Sean Poopy's McNerney, mostly because of the nickname alone. They say it a lot and honestly if that joke can make you laugh, it will make you laugh and you will steal the scene because of it. However, there are two notable absences from the film. Ryan Dunn who died sadly in a car accident in 2011 and Bam Megara who had this ugly falling out with the Jackass gang after Paramount deemed him too much of a liability due to a prolonged substance abuse and a few other public breakdowns over the past few years. But he is in the film in one sequence and that's the marching band segment because that was filmed before he was officially let go from this film. And this film is dedicated to Ryan Dunn's memory. Now, again, anyone watching this or wanting to watch this film knows exactly what they're getting into. It is incredibly stupid and obviously extremely juvenile. But if one was expecting anything more, 
they're seriously misinformed by what Jackass is. Hilariously, this film is no different than any other films in the franchise, yet more people are recommending this one over the others. And it's really interesting given the fact that there was so much controversy initially with the TV show in the first movie with parents really, really not liking this film and really preventing or trying to prevent their children from going to it. But as a lot of people know, the more that you prevent a child from doing something, the more they want to do it. So it's really interesting to see how the fandom really has grown toward these types of movies, even though there's not much to them. As of this recording, it has an 89% recognition rate on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the highest out of all of them. Why is that? Well, maybe because the fans of the first films are now at the age of those who are writing the critiques of these films. Did the humor evolve? No, not really, but it's not really clear how it can outside of one of the cast members asking permission before touching an area around Wolfson's breast. This does show a little bit of progression, but the rest of the jokes of the film are still the same. There's absolutely no story in this film or message, but it does well with its cast and details of something like this, and honestly the direction. However, the things that the film does well with are fairly easy to do with a film this. The humor is simple, punish your friends and laugh at them. If one is looking for a laugh and they find all in good fun abuse humor hilarious, this film will provide that. It still delivers the exact same thing from 2000 and maybe it's because of nostalgia for this time or maybe it being an escape from all the awful things going on in the world. This film is, frankly is not a waste of time but not really worth watching again unless you really want to or you're watching it with a bunch of friends and y'all are just laughing together because that's really what this film will provide for you and from that angle yeah it does a great job at but at the end of the day I would rate this film a 3 out of 5. Now, what did you think of it, and do you think it lines up with the other films? Do you think it's better? Love to know what you hear. Hit me up on social media. The formal review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram, and also YouTube. The handle's all the same. It's at the formal review. And for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis, I thank you very much for supporting me in that way. For anyone who wants to support, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash the formal review. Click support this podcast, and any donation is appreciated. Thank you all again for tuning in, and it's Until next time, if you're able to, get vaccinated. And I'll see you at the movies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Former Review. Cheers, and we'll see you next time.